Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And, well, I think before maybe we talk about what we're doing this week, one of the things I wanted to do is say thank you to each and every one of you. We have done 100 full episode reviews now, a bunch of interviews as well along the way, a ton of fun. We just want to thank you all for joining us on this journey. You've been with us through the bonds, the borns, and the condor mans, and the house on 92nd streets, the British agents all across the board. And we want to yeah, express our thanks that when we launched this podcast, we knew that people would be excited to hear us talk about Bond and you know the big franchise stuff. But it's been very encouraging just throughout this crazy journey that you guys have been there for like some of our really crazy offshoot things. Springfield Rifle did pretty well. So I just want to express my thanks to all of you for, you know, look, as a film geek, I like digging into stuff that people don't necessarily know about. And it's been very encouraging to see that people have responded to those episodes. Yeah, I mean, those who know about the genesis of Spy Hards, at one time we were thinking about doing a James Bond podcast. And I think in two year retrospect, I'm very glad that we didn't. Uh, much love to everyone who talks about James Bond every week. They're all part of the spy family to me. But I relish the opportunity to switch from different film to different film every week and not talk about the man in the tuxedo. Now, not to mention, we do talk about him every couple of months. But it's so refreshing to then hop on a surfboard with Big Jim McLean. <laughs> or strum a guitar with Roy Orbison. Yeah, it's it's these moments that they become like I don't want to say a meme because between two people is it really a meme? Sure. But uh, legendary on the on the podcast as well. We often mention these uh, weird flights of fancy more than we mention, say, you know, the Bourne legacy. Right, right. I mean, once you've tackled Doctor Goldfoot, you're never the same afterwards. No, I'm I'm still plunging off that cliff in San Francisco and getting blown up by those boats. I I will never <laughs> leave that moment in my head. Um, but also, Cam, I want to thank you. Uh, it, you know, it's it's a little bit uh, weird to thank your co-host, but you know you've been editing this show for the last two years, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours of your week that you put into making me sound less like a fool. So I just <laughs> want to thank you, and right back at you for all of the interview booking you do, because I think that's been a big feature of the show that people have really enjoyed, and we've heard a lot of great response especially just recently with the barbara carrera episode and that is all on you tracking those people down like a true spy master well it's, it's what i am the spy master maybe i should i should assume that title now instead of agent scott it's spy master <laughs> scott oh it's even the alliteration there i love it i love it and my like designation will just backslide into like <laughs> pedestrian <laughs> cam the editor oh. yeah <laughs> Um, and also a thank you to everyone who's been a guest on the show along the way. Also, thank you, of course, to all people who have agreed to be interviews. And we've got a lot more in the bag. There's one, uh, a big one we're saving for next week that we'll announce at the end of the show. But we've got a few more that are coming in the next few months that we've already recorded. And thank you to them. And thank you to all the guests you know, that have joined the show from our roundtable specials to our declassified episode to just our usual reviews. Thank you for everyone that's jumped on the pod and helped us dissect spy movies. Yeah, and really got into the spirit of the show. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, I think you have to take it a little less seriously to to really enjoy Spy Hearts. We, uh, we're not uh, hoity-toity podcasters here. No, that is true. We are definitely not in the uh, sophisticated brackets. This is lowbrow podcasting right here, folks, and I'm all about it. <laughs> That's right. Um, but speaking of high bars, 
I guess we should talk about what we're doing this week, Cam. Yes, we are <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. We are looking at the knockless. Scott is shaking his head. This is no way to celebrate 100 episodes. <laughs> um, we are going to look at the knocklist. We have, over the past 100 episodes, brought a lot of films into our you know pantheon of all-time spy films. And we are going to determine, through a knockout bracket, which is the king of them all or queen of them all like which is the film that reigns supreme over the group and we're gonna basically champion that winner and then when we have the next hundred we'll be able to do the same thing we can kind of decide what are the greatest films on the knock list because some films are on there because we think they're important for you to see and they add to the conversation but what are the ones like what truly is the best spy film on the knock list and we're going to determine that today yeah i mean the mission statement is to make the list of the best spy movies of all time but then there has to be a champion of champions, surely. There has to be a, someone at the top of that pantheon, the top of the hill, the cream of the crop, as it were. And so um, that's what we're going to do. And as Cam said, when we do the next 100, we'll have, a, a, we'll have two champions. And eventually when we get to the end, we'll have a bunch of champions, I imagine, because our film list is several hundred long at this point now. We'll have a, several champions that we'll have to face off against each other to crown the ultimate winner of the best spy movie of all time as decided by two idiots i look forward to the day when we're just tackling the dregs of the genre and we do like 100 episodes of just like the equivalence of british agent <laughs> it's like well it's been 100 episodes and no films made the knock list this year <laughs> well it's actually really interesting if you look at like the last 100 episodes um i think we started off really hot and then we realized that exact problem that if we didn't uh, talk about some of the dregs as it were the uh, my favorite spy of it all, mm. then uh, we would be left with them all at the end. And so, you know, looking at the start, you you started off with things like Goldeneye, North by Northwest, Ipcus File, Doctor No. Within the first twenty episodes, Man from Uncle, yeah, yeah, Man from Uncle. Well, that that didn't make the knock list, but um, no. but in the last like, I think in the last two months, we haven't had one single entry. No, um, that is true. I think the last one was Ghost in the Shell, the anime film um yeah yeah so it, it i think we're more aware of it now and that's why you get more of a mix every week and speaking of ghost in the shell um to make these brackets work there are currently 27 films on the knock list but to make the mathematics behind these brackets work we had to eliminate three at the start um and i think we can just go through them very quickly and, and our reasons behind it the three that we took out were one ghost in the shell for me personally it's a great film that everyone should check out it's spy adjacent but i'm not sure it's really a a spy film too much and i think i even said so in the episode yeah uh, that's how i could justify this one and that it did feel a little more spy adjacent yes they work for a top secret agency but it doesn't really fall within what we expect of from a spy film so Great film, check it out, but yes, didn't uh, make the brackets. The next one was Hannah, the Saoirse Ronan film, a very early entry for us on the on the show, on the knock list. The reason we chose this one is actually just due to the film's popularity or, or lack thereof, as it were. I mean, we both really love the film, but it, it's just not an episode that people have really tuned back into. And that tells us a, a little bit that there isn't that much interest in the film. So maybe we were wrong about this one. I don't know. I still love the film, and I think people should watch it. But it's clearly not a popular one out there in the world. So I think that's one of the reasons we took that one away. And then the last one, it was actually between two films, and we tossed a coin 
to pick it. So it was actually between my choice, which was Our Man Flint, uh, where we were arguing at length on the episode whether to put it on the knock list or not. It ended up making the knock list. Or Spy Kids. And again, I argued that one onto the knock list. I think actually both of those films I argued onto the knock list. And I think, and in the end, Spy Kids won, so they're staying in the brackets. Yeah, I mean, with the case with Hannah, that's a movie I like a lot, and I wish people would check out. But, like, I also was able with that one to say, look, Hannah is not beating Goldfinger or something like that. Like, the chances of Hannah winning is just slim to none. So I just felt like, okay, we can just dismiss this one out of the gate because it's not going to proceed too far into the, you know, the tournament. But, like, um, the Our Man Flint going... This was one, again, like I could kind of justify because we really did rack our brains over Spy Kids and Our Man Flint in the actual episodes, whereas most of the other ones on the list were pretty clear-cut favorites. There's some controversial ones, but um, I felt like those two of the group were the ones we were the most undecided on when it came to the end, where we were spending like five minutes trying to even determine whether they belong there. Absolutely. So we've limited it down to 24. And then I've made a bracket out of that, randomized everything uh, several times over to make sure it's just a completely random set of brackets. And what we'll do, we'll try and keep you up to speed as we go along. Um, I may even try and make a graphic and get that sent over to Cam at some point so we can publish it online so you can see what it looks like in the end. But we'll we'll try and keep you up to speed as we go. But we're going to pick two films and then discuss whether it makes the next round until we get down to a, a first, second or third place, basically. Right. Right, well, this is round one, so we've got 24 films, and we're going to break it down to 12 films. So the first set of films that are going up against each other are The Born Supremacy and You Only Live Twice. <laughs> okay, so Born Supremacy was a real surprise for me. It's a movie I enjoyed back when I saw it the first time, but when we revisited with License to Queer on that episode, uh, David Lowbridge Ellis, I just fell in love with The Born Supremacy and have watched it a few times since. I voted against You Only Live Twice, the 1967 Bond film. This is like one of my least favorite Sean Connerys. Uh, so this is a real easy one for me. What about you? Uh, I, I, well, I was the defender along with our guest Chris Hewitt on that episode for You Only Live Twice. Uh, it was still one of our most popular episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I still really like You Only Live Twice. and I feel it's a tough <laughs> one. But I honestly, I think The Born Supremacy is is the easy win in this one. Um, it's just a better film. Oh, yeah. And we have some... I've seen, the obviously, the categories we're going to be tackling, the, the individual brackets. We have some real hair pullers, like some real nail biters. Um, there's a lot of things being pulled. I don't know what's going on here. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's like torture, just like this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, I think this bracket's pretty pretty easy to settle. I know that, like, um, You Only Live Twice, there's a lot of iconic stuff with, you know, the Blofeld reveal, the volcano. But just as a two-hour story like it's paced questionably um oh no stop there cam you're a defender <laughs> of thunderball to the end of time and you're going to question the pace of you only live twice check yourself young man what are you talking about yeah you got me there uh okay that's fair but like uh i don't know the to me this pace. is this is not an inspired connery one whereas there are several that are top level like all-time masterpieces the way I reason this one out is is quite simple. The Bourne Supremacy for me is the best of the Bourne films. It's the only one to make the knock list. Yeah. Um, and it's better than many Bond films. 
uh, including this one. So it's, it's, it's an easy one for me. Like there's other Bond films I think that might give Supremacy a run for its money. It's just not You Only Live Twice. No, no. All right, so Born Supremacy is moving on to the next round. The next bracket is our first ever episode, our first ever entry onto the knock list. Uh-oh. Goldeneye. Uh-huh. Versus Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. <laughs> this is the brutality I was hinting at when we were... Yeah. Uh, it gets uh, much worse. It, it's it's horrible. He's, I mean, it's the best of the best. It's what we're doing here. Um, I'll, I'll, you went first on the last one, so I'll go first on this one. Yeah. Uh, Goldeneye. I tell you something. I will stick on Notorious a lot. I. It's actually one of the films I've discovered through this podcast that I really love. Yeah. I really love this film. I've I've, I've got it on like Blu-ray now. I. It's gorgeous. It's, it's such a great film. But I think Goldeneye is also a great film. And has all the added, the fact that it, it rebirthed the entire Bond genre in a way. Like it, it, it brought that flame back to Bond. It brought me to Bond. It's such an important film for so many reasons that I don't see how it couldn't go through to the next round. This is brutal. Um, the thing about Notorious is, I think in terms of storytelling, I would say Notorious is like top tier. Like, I don't yep. know that there's much to comparison. Ingrid Bergman's performance in this movie, Claude Rains, just all-timer stuff going on. And we did a commentary for this one on the Patreon, which I enjoyed doing a lot. This is a We did both. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we did do Goldeneye. Um, so, like, this is, to me, very difficult. Goldeneye, it just was this wave. Like, if you're going to track the evolution of Bond. If I were writing a book, The Evolution of Bond, I would have Goldeneye as one of the most important films. And not just like because of the film itself, but also because of the 64 video game and everything like that, that, you know, just brought that entire franchise screaming back after License to Kill's underperformance. Oh my God. It's like, am I talking about the quality of the film or kind of the importance of the film? Because I think Notorious, while a classic... I don't know that it holds sort of the sway over like pop culture or even the film world the way that some of Alfred Hitchcock's other films do. Like, I don't think when we're talking about Hitchcock, people immediately go to Notorious. They go Psycho, Rear Window, Vertigo, stuff like that. They don't really go to Notorious. Um, oh, this is brutal. Because, like, the snob in me is, like, Notorious all the way. But... Well, we have to maybe just tell the listeners what happens if we split on this. I don't think we've ever decided that, Cam. Well, I think what we do is the random number generator or flip a coin. Now, I'm not uh, saying that I'm going to fall on the uh, the flip of a coin on this one. I think I can justify Goldeneye. And I think it's because when I look at what Goldeneye has accomplished... It's exceedingly strong. Like, I've seen the download numbers, and I've seen how many people have come to this podcast through Goldeneye. And so, like, there's another Hitchcock I will fight way harder for. But, like, Notorious is... I think I, I, I will surrender that one for Goldeneye, because I think it's... If I'm looking at the Bonds, there's a lot of Bonds I love, but I wouldn't necessarily fight for them being kept right to the bitter end. Um, so... Goldeneye is one I kind of think I would. So I think let's come down on Goldeneye on that one, but I won't feel good about it. I won't be sleeping tonight, Scott. 
it i mean it's definitely a tough choice between the two i i i immediately knew what i was going for when i saw it unfortunately um but i i agree with the same point that there's other alfred hitchcock films i would probably go to bat before this yeah I mean, um, one in the in these brackets we'll be talking about. Well, there's a couple coming up, funnily enough. Um, so there you go. GoldenEye is beating Notorious and moving on to the next round. Next up, we have The Parallax View versus Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. <laughs> uh, this one's actually pretty easy for me. I loved doing The Parallax View, a movie that... I'd enjoyed the first time and really rediscovered where I just found so much more to appreciate with that film. Um, when we talked about Spy Adjacent for A Ghost in the Shell, I suppose in some ways that's what um, the Parallax View kind of feels like. Even though mm-hmm. like, I do think the sense of like this corporation engaging all the, these espionage acts mm-hmm. um, counts it as a spy film, just not a traditional spy film, because you have, obviously, Warren Beatty playing a journalist uncovering this conspiracy. But as much as, like, the set pieces in that are incredible, especially at the end with the dude in the uh, runaway cart, um, I mean, North by Northwest. I mean, that sets the bar. That influences from Russia with Love. That is one of the most important spy films of all time, I think, and one of Alfred Hitchcock's best. Yeah, I'm not going to telegraph how I think about yeah, North by Northwest, and how it might do in the rest of this contest. But you're right. It, it's If someone asks you what the best spy film of all time is, and you had to pick one, you'd be hard-pressed not to say North by Northwest. Condor Man. Well, okay. The most fun spy movie of all time, Condor Man, of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so many iconic moments in North by Northwest that have been, not just in From Russia With Love, but all kinds of films have riffed off of it. Um, that whole wrong man in the wrong place. And it felt like it's Alfred Hitchcock perfecting his own formula. And like with Notorious, the the reason also that I can put it out in favor of GoldenEye is because like I do think the movies that really endure in terms of like grabbing people long term are the ones that entertain them. And I know that sounds crazy, but when you look at stuff like The Godfather, Citizen Kane, um, Casablanca, these are really, really entertaining movies. Mm-hmm. And I think like Goldeneye works so well because it's so entertaining in on top of all the things it brings to that franchise. Whereas like, I don't know that like a lot of people would describe Notorious as full on entertaining. Notorious to me feels like the spy film fans spy film. Yeah. And I would say like North by Northwest is full on entertainment. And that's kind of the difference. Mm-hmm. But approachable, uh, like a mass market spy film in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I it was an easy one for me. I, I think North by Northwest. Are you in agreement on that one? Yeah, easily. Okay. So Parallax View is not going through. North by Northwest is into the next round. Speaking of Alfred Hitchcock, he's back again. <laughs> uh, I, I probably should have moved some of these around, but I didn't want... It was it was a random choice generator. I couldn't edit it. It was completely done by a, a computer. Um, we have... Oh, this is horrible. Was it like the Parallax View um, brainwashing? Where it's like, obey, obey, obey. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wish I wore my hat. Um, the 39 Steps versus On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay. Well, this... I, in terms of the Bond films we've covered on the podcast, On Her Majesty's is... Uh, 
pretty much the best. Um, so that's difficult. Um, that's interesting. So you would say of all the ones we've covered so far in terms of Bond, Honor Majesty is the winner. I think, well, I could make art. You take it over Goldeneye, over Goldfinger. Um, I could make arguments, I think, for Goldfinger, but they would have more to do within like uh, cultural impact and things like that. But I tend to regard Honor Majesty's as being one of the all-time great Bond films. Um, so that's difficult. But um, 39 Steps was such a joy. So, like that falls into that entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like it's a great spy story. Like you don't know where it's going to go. It surprises you at every turn. But it also is just hugely entertaining and fun. Where are you thinking on this one? I am. Um, I'm going to buck the trend of everyone listening at home. I imagine there's a lot of people listening going, "On a Majesty, you blimmin' idiots! What are you doing?" I I'm going to go for the Thirty Nine Steps. Oh, okay. I just had so much fun with that film. It's such an easy watch. It's entertaining. Everyone is well cast, and the acting is phenomenal. The direction's terrific. Honor Majesty's does everything right except for George Lazenby. Sure. I said it in the episode. I stick to it. I wish there'd been someone else in that film. I love it. It's the most cinematic of Bond films ever made. The stuff where they're attacking uh, Peace Gloria on the helicopters. I saw it on, in, on the big screen this year. Absolutely gorgeous. I could watch it all day, but I just can't get past Lazenby's performances. And, and you know, he's a lovely guy. He's He's a terrific bloke, but... Should he have been Bond? I'm not sure. And I said that on the episode, and I still stick to it. So if I'm going to pick between two potentially perfect films, I'm going to go with the one that has more ticks than, you know, crosses. I think we may have a split, because I think I'm going to have to go for Honor Majesties, because when I look at 39 Steps, like, just such a delightful film. But, like, I think Alfred Hitchcock refined his abilities, and we get future spy films that he created that jump off of what that movie's doing and just take it to an even more impressive level. Whereas when I look at Honor Majesties, Peter Hunt's direction of that, that is a beautiful movie. I think it's just one of the best examinations of the Bond character we get in the franchise. You've got Diana Rigg as one of the all-time you know, great Bond love interests. Um, Telly Savalas' Blofeld is very memorable and some amazing, amazing stunts. So I feel like within that franchise, particularly within that like uh, 60s into the maybe even till the Daniel Craig era, this one is probably the most cinematic. So I think I'm going to come down on Honor Majesties. Okay, so we have a provision. If this happens, we're going to toss a digital coin. Uh, I have a website that tosses a coin for you. I'm going to get Cam to call it in the air when I tell him to, and then it will decide our fate. So Cam, call it now. Heads. Congratulations on Her Majesty's Secret Service is moving on to the next round. Uh, I will keep my love for the 39 steps to myself and I will cry, cry, cry myself to sleep this evening. But then again, both terrific films, so I can't really lament it too much. No, but it, I think a lot of these are going to sting. Well, speaking of lamenting, up next we have Black Book, a terrific film. Uh, I think the only foreign language film on this list. So far, yeah. Oh, no, um, actually, Ghost in the Shell would have been, but obviously not up for the brackets. Oh, very true. Well, we have Black Book, um, the Paul Verhoeven film versus everyone's favorite except for mine, The Ipcris File. <laughs> uh, this one's easy for me. <laughs> yeah, I, 
I'm okay. A lot of people will be expecting me to be like, well, it's Black Book because I hate the Ipcus file. I voted for the Ipcus file to go onto the knock list. I can acknowledge how important it is to spy film history and to British film and to all kinds of these. Its historical impact is well known, well regarded. It's unlike the BFI 100 best British films of all time for good reason. It just doesn't vibe with me. Everyone has a couple of things that everyone knows is the best and you just don't like it. Like, uh, I I love Limp Biscuit, and some people don't. They're wrong. That's fine. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I often compare the Ipcris file to Limp Biscuit. Um, yeah, I, I will vote for Ipcris file to go through, much as I love Black Book, but I, I just know Ipcris file is a better film. I want the Ipcris file to keep rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> <sighs> Oh, that's right that's right that bring was, in the uh, class <laughs> anyways yeah. um, i said we were lowbrow at the start it hasn't changed yeah um so this one is pretty easy for me i think i would come down on ipcris file which i think is a pretty perfect movie in terms of the story it wants to tell and i mean it's easily easily my favorite of that franchise um those tv movies really didn't do it for me and uh i liked funeral in berlin uh, but um, billion dollar brain, I found a bit of a bit of a sit. But like the Ipcris file, just feels somewhat inspired. Like from the music to Michael Caine's performance to just a lot of the imagery and the way they shoot, you know, their crazy angles that we see evoked also in like the Avengers movie, the '98 Avengers, the way they were picking up on visual cues from the Ipcris. I think it's had a lot of influence. Black Book is terrific, but even you and I. We're looking at Black Book as much as we love the movie, and especially the lead performance by Carice Van Houten. Um, that movie kind of wears out its welcome a little bit when you get to that end, and they keep introducing new crises for the character to go through. So, like in terms of storytelling, I think Ip Chris is focused. It tells exactly the story it wants to tell, and does it in- exceedingly well. Whereas I would say, like Black Book is a fantastic film to watch, but it has maybe some some issues that didn't hold it back from making the list but i would definitely pull into play when i'm talking about a bracket here i mean personally i would say the ipcris file is 148 minutes too long <laughs> 148 minutes oh not 148 minutes it's an hour and 48 minutes oh you're right exactly yes that one yeah um yeah i i think it's ipcris file cam i think that it, it, i even i can be a pragmatist about it i think i'll just put that through to the next round yeah, I mean, we would love to have a Paul Verhoeven movie uh, go the distance on this, uh, on this, um, you know, this tournament. But who knows? Maybe Total Recall one day. I uh, I wouldn't buy Ipcris file for a dollar. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Almost as bad as the Limp Biscuit reference. Um, <laughs> next up, we have the Spy in Black, a favorite of ours, the Comrade Veidt film, up against Goldfinger. Well, well, this one's kind of a slam yeah. dunk. I mean, just wait till we get to the next round. It gets yeah, horrible. Yeah, like I mean, I would say Goldfinger is kind of the perfect Bond movie in some ways. Like, it's not my favorite all-time Bond film, but like with in in terms of the construction, the way it sets all the elements into place, the huge phenomenon it created, obviously, just with its success, but like. It is, and I have said this a couple times on the show, it is like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is machine-tooled to perfection. It is the ultimate Bond experience. You know, they would obviously riff off what Goldfinger did for decades to come. 
And I think that's important. This is the one that set the standard and it did it so unbelievably well. There's a reason why they would say when they go too far away, we need to get back to more Goldfinger and sort of ground it some more. It is the template that even now in No Time to Die, there's bits that they're taking from Goldfinger. It's the template of Bond films going forward. It's the perfection of the formula. Now, there are bits that I still don't like about the film. Um, but it's hard to say no to Goldfinger. Much as I love to spy in black, I think in terms of like a 1930s spy film, you're not going to get much better. No. Um, Comrade Vite is fantastic in it. It's, it's weird to see a, a villain become someone you root for. That film is very successful at doing that. And I mean, Powell and Pressburger did a fantastic job. Just you know, directing and writing that one. Um, I think we have other films of theirs coming up in the future. I may be wrong about that, but I think we do. Um, like a great entry in their filmography, but it's more of like a great curio. It's one we would recommend people check out. But The Spy in Black has almost no uh, imprint in terms of kind of if you're like a huge film buff people don't really mention this one it was something that we found that we think is really important for people to watch and really worth watching but it's Mm -hmm. not one that has that kind of influence no and i think that's part of the magic of what we do is finding some of these lesser known films and putting a spotlight on them um and especially ones that we think are good enough to go on the knock list and the spy in black is one of them but up against a, a titan such as goldfinger i think that's a pretty easy one so i'm putting goldfinger through to the next round definitely up next another bond film dr no versus Three Days of the Condor. <laughs> this is a bloodbath. Yeah, I actually, I have a gut instinct I'm going to go with. um, And I'll justify it. I'm going to go for Three Days of the Condor out of the two. Mm-hmm. Much as I'm a fan of Doctor No, and I like kind of that, like, it's like the vicious Bond that we don't really see again until like maybe For All Your Eyes Only or, you know, License to Kill or something like that. I enjoy that aspect of it, but it feels like a film that, you know, they haven't quite perfected it yet. Not perfected yet, I suppose, is the is the, the catchphrase. But um, whereas Three Days of the Condor is the perfect paranoid spy thriller. It's Robert Redford at the height of his magical, handsome powers, um, riding that electric bicycle through New York straight into my heart. <laughs> yeah, this one, actually, I agree. I think Three Days of the Condor is just the... Um the more important film in some ways. Like, Dr. No is a movie that I didn't really care for when I was young, and in more recent, uh, probably the last decade, I've really fallen in love with it, and it's one I watch over and over again. But it is proto-Bond. It Like, Goldfinger is the one that really nails down that template, whereas, like, Dr. No, it has some, maybe some issues along the way, even though I think it is a pretty fantastic film. So, Three Days of the Condor is the one, though, that I think has much more of an impact on spy cinema, I think. I would say Goldfinger has more impact in terms of, you know, Bond on the genre on spy mm-hmm. film than Dr. No. Even From Russia With Love, I think, has a little more than Dr. No. So I can come down on um, Three Days of the Condor. I think that one is just a amazing, riveting film. No, and you look at what the Noculus is trying to do it is provide an example for people of what the best spy films are. And if someone were to say, are you going to show someone who's never seen a spy film before, Dr. No or Three Days of the Condor, I think I'd give them three days of the Condor first. Yeah, and if someone said, you know, give me a Bond film that represents the best of Bond, I'm not going to say Dr. No first. And if they said, name me a a 70s spy film that represents the best of that decade, I would say Condor. Yeah, man. (laughs) That's right. 
like the unofficial spokesman of this podcast. Uh, I'm so glad we had Barbara Carrera on. I, I still need to try and get Michael Crawford. <laughs> I will make it happen. Well, okay. Three days of the Condors through to the next round. Next up, Zero Dark Thirty, a recent addition to the knock list, up against Spy Kids in a contest no one thought you'd ever hear <laughs> on a podcast. Two feel-good spy movies duking it mm. out in the uh, in the brackets here. Ironically, uh, ironically, <laughs> Spy Kids was torture for you. Yeah, like no, it wasn't torture, but like Spy Kids was. This is a slam dunk for Zero Dark Thirty for me. Uh, I just think Catherine Bigelow's work with that movie and Jessica Chastain's performance is just next level great. I really, really appreciated that movie revisiting it. But like Spy Kids, it's fun. I think it's a great entry for kids to watch. I don't think this is an all-time great spy story though. Um, well, you're wrong again. You're wrong. I just think it's it's the best kids film I think we're probably ever going to see on this show. I mean, there's like Cars two. You could say the Indiana Jones films are kids films. There's a few things out there that maybe will trump it. Condor Man, of course, but Spy Kids is such a a relaxing ninety minutes with uh, okay, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit silly. It's a bit childish. It's not as bad as Spy Kids four. It's, you know, I, I, if someone said, what's the best Spy Kids film? Well, it's Spy Kids. Sure. Literally. Um, I'm not going to recommend people Zero Dark Thirty necessarily if they ask me for a good spy film. Now, I think it is a very good spy film, and that's why it made the knock list. But I'm not sure I would hand it out before I handed out Spy Kids. It's the procedural elements of Zero Dark Thirty that also put it really high for me because like I think it is an incredibly well done spy procedural and I think a lot of those you know movies in that genre tend to fall a little more on the fantasy or stuff like that this one it gets to the dirty work but makes it riveting the way it's kind of conveyed on screen you're getting a bit floopy mate you need to chill out I got some uh, I I think uh, I think we're going to turn to the coin for this one Cam what do you think okay flip that coin all right uh let's go for it call it in the air Tales, as in tales of a talking dog, as we see in Spy Kids 4. Heads. Ugh. Uh, your luck ran out, my friend. Spy Kids is going through to the next round. Sorry, Zero Dark Thirty, and sorry all you serious movie fans. Scott's ruined the day for you, everyone, <laughs> as it's I criminal. know how to do. Well, <laughs> no, that didn't make the knock list. <laughs> True. Ah, uh, right. Well, okay. Up next, Cam's favorite, and I'm sure he's going to go to bat for this one to know in, and I might fall asleep immediately. It is Thunderball up against Bridge of Spies. Oh. Oh, this is an interesting one where, like, I love both of them, but I don't put them at that, like, god tier of mm. spy films. Yeah. Um, it's two really, really good spy films. Even great, maybe. Um, hmm. Well, like, the thing is, I, I don't want to consistently be like well that bond film's iconic ergo it moves on when other films are doing interesting things and i think bridge of spies was i mean mark rylance's performance alone is one of the most memorable spy characters i've encountered in you know the past several decades of spy movies and just the way that they make all of those scenes of negotiations just so tense and that look at the cold war um I, I think I can honestly put this one ahead of Thunderball. Thunderball is, and we've talked about it, it's going on vacation with Bond. It is like immersing yourself in the Bond universe, but it's not necessarily a, you know, carry you by the seat of your pants spy story like, say, you know, a Goldfinger is. Um, so I think I'm okay relaxing on Thunderball for once and handing it to Bridge of Spies. 
Cam has finally run out of conch chowder. Yeah, it's true. It, I'm... It's about time. <laughs> the uh, the peeing dog is aimed in my direction. <laughs> uh, would it help if we put Bridge of Spies through to the next round? Yes, I think it would. I personally agree with you, Cam. Bridge of Spies is... Well, I'm not a big Thunderbolt fan. I think it's... There's 28 minutes of underwater sequences and I just can't stand watching them. I did that whole thing. I watched it on the big screen to try and help and it didn't. Almost sent me to sleep. Um, Bridge of Spies didn't. Uh, you know, we, we had a really great interview with the film's uh, screenwriter, Matt Charman, on the show as well. And that helped me love it even more. I think we're soon to go and do another podcast uh, guest appearance about this film just because of how much coverage we did on Bridge of Spies. Um, yeah, I think it's just a wonderful Spielberg film. I mean... That combination of Hanks, Spielberg, Rylance, you really can't go wrong. And if you also, I want to point out, if you look at this list of films, there isn't many serious spy films. Yep. And I want to promote that side of spy films too. Not that that's necessarily my natural habitat. I prefer my sort of action pulpy stuff. I think Bridge of Spies is a shining example of an approachable dark and gritty spy film. Yeah, and I think it's the only Spielberg movie we've done so far. Um, we did War of the Worlds on the Patreon, but uh, yeah, I'd like to send Spielberg into the next round. Absolutely. So Bridge of Spies has beaten down Thunderbolt, gone to the next round. Next up, this is a toughie. True Lies, a film that does not get enough love, mm. up against From Russia with Love. This one is exceedingly easy for me. I think this is From is Russia it? with Love. Yeah, I think I think True Lies is... In terms of 90s blockbusters, uh, I think very important, hugely um, impactful uh, Schwarzenegger film. Really the last Schwarzenegger movie that mattered before his career began to slide. Um, James Cameron, though, it's low-tier James Cameron, I think. And the fact it's never gotten any sort of Blu-ray release or you know 4K release, it's basically just sat dormant, I think... There's some, you know, we talked about it in the show. There's some definite dated elements to this one that hurt it. Um, so I love what Jamie Lee Curtis is doing in the movie. I think she's a ton of fun, like great performance there. But like I look at From Russia With Love and the impact it has and just how unbelievably well told that Bond story is. And I think From Russia With Love is not just like, I think most people would regard it not just as one of the all-time Bonds, but also one of the uh, great spy entertainments. Well, it's it's the Hitchcock Bond, isn't it? Really, it yeah. it's taking elements of North by Northwest and weaving it into a Bond story, and for the better, I would say. Now, I love True Lies and I love my pulpy spy action films, but it's hard to compare a parody against the original because let's remember, True Lies is a loving parody of Bond films. Yeah, even from like the beginning scene where Arnie's turning up in the the swimsuit and it takes it off and unveils the white tuxedo, just like Sean Connery did. Mm-hmm. And that whole um, scene with the out-of-control limos in the Florida Keys is just incredible. So, like, it's taking Bond action and also kind of raising the bar on what you can do with that as well. So, like, it's a really fun movie. I wish they would put out a proper version of it. It's ridiculous. It's sitting in a, like, vault somewhere um, because it's a movie that... I think he said he's done it. He's done the transfer to 4K. It just has not been put out. Yeah, it's the same as, like, The Abyss. It's, like, just sitting there somewhere, and uh, they can't be bothered putting it out. So hopefully they do that because I do think True Lies, while I don't think belongs in the same, you know, same breath as, like, some of the other movies on the the, the knock list, um, it, it should have, like, a legacy. It, it should have people discovering it because I think James Cameron's an important filmmaker, and I don't like it when important works from directors are just kind of 
left in cobwebs. We get messages at least once every couple of weeks asking if we know any information about the re-release of True Lies. Yeah. Um, it on, on some sort of social media. And I wish I had more information for people, but it's just a, an absolute shame. But I can acknowledge that From Russia With Love is a stronger film. So I, I think that's going through to the next round. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have two more two more fights left before we get to the next round. Next up, mm, an interesting one. The Day of the Jackal versus Argo. Huh. Huh. There's nothing that like immediately jumps out and goes, "Oh, this is this one." It's not it's not like an instant winner. Yeah. Um it's okay, so like Day of the Jackal was I thought really effective in just doing that kind of procedural um like hitman story and I think the spy threads are strong enough just because it's very clear the Jackal has you know, spy training. Like, there, there's just no way that character doesn't. Um, and just the way that, like, Edward Fox plays him is just chilling. Um, Argo is just, like, a really fun entertainment with some very tense sequences. But, like, I, I think I'm going to come down on Jackal because I think Jackal just feels like it pulls you in and is a little more immersive. Whereas, like, Argo is that, you know, straight down the middle of the line, audience-pleasing entertainment that, like, it still has some elements that you kind of go, like, well, I don't know, this feels a little fake, even though it's trying to be a true story. There's elements that feel a little Hollywood manipulated. Um, whereas, like, I look at Jackal, and it's such a pure, like, a pure film. It is exactly what those filmmakers intended. And it is also something that, like, there's nothing really like it. Whereas I feel like I've seen movies kind of like Argo. What are you talking about? The Jackal. It's just like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, I, I actually I'm inclined to agree it's a toughie I think Argo is a really enjoyable film and you know I'm far less of a film buff than you are so I do tend to enjoy my sort of more mainstream entries but there's a, something so magnetic about the day of the jackal you can't take your eyes away from it despite it being two hours it just you're drawn into this world yeah. of the jackal and Edward Fox is fantastic in the film um and not to say that people aren't fantastic in Argo, but it does have that sort of Hollywood veneer on it that that can rub some people the wrong way. And I I love the story they're telling in Argo. It's why it's on the knock list to begin with. Um, I just think out of the two, Day of the Jackal was perhaps a slightly stronger film. Yeah. And I mean, if you ask me um, of the 2010s, like what's the best spy film, I would probably be leaning more towards like Bridge of Spies over like an Argo. So that tells mm -hmm. me enough. Okay. It looks like Day of the Jackal's going through. Last one in this round. The Man Who Knew Too Much. This is the 1950s version. Versus Where Eagles Dare. This one's actually pretty easy for me. I really enjoy The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, both versions. But uh, the Jimmy Stewart, Doris Day one is just like a fun ride. It's totally Hitchcock having fun. Whereas, like, Where Eagles Dare is just, like, one of the, oh, it's just such a fun Men on a Mission movie. Like, Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, you can tell the influence it had on things like Star Wars. Uh, and just so many sequences that I continue to think about. Like, when we did that one, I'd seen it the once, and I hadn't really thought about it that much. Since we watched it again, I think about Where Eagles Dare all the time. It's, I rewatched it at Christmas. Yeah. Just recently. Um... And it, it shocked me how well it held up. And 
I mean, not to get too sort of inside baseball, but it's one of our most listened to episodes. Yeah. Despite it being an older film, despite us having no guests on it, it's just me and you talking. There's something about this film that draws people to it. I think it's just one of those films that maybe doesn't get the sort of love it deserves in the press. Like it's not getting 4K releases as far as I'm aware. Yeah. But those who do know it, love it. Yeah. And I mean, I'd like to have a Clint film move on because, you know, Firefox didn't make the knock list. And, uh, I think Where Eagles Dare is a pretty damn cool movie. Like, if you're going to ask what are the cool movies on the knock list, Where Eagles Dare ranks pretty high. And to to be true to what I said when we covered The Man Who Knew Too Much, I actually preferred the 1930s version out of the two. It was you and Calvin, our guest on that episode, that pushed this through to the next round. So it only makes sense that I would vote for Where Eagles Dare. Yep, I think that makes sense. Okie dokie, we're down to the next round now. We have 12 competitors left whittling it down to a group of six. Our first one, and these are going to get very tough. Oh, yeah. Our first one is the Born Supremacy versus Goldeneye. I think this one is actually a little easier for me in some oh, ways. Really? Like, look, at this point, I have to just acknowledge I love all these movies. And so it's almost mm-hmm. impossible for me to say, well, clearly one's better than the other because I can't do that. Um, so I think I, with this one, I look at, okay. Jason Bourne. What's the greatest Bourne film? Bourne and Supremacy. That's what I would immediately say. If you come to me and say, what's the greatest Bond film? It probably wouldn't be Goldeneye. I would probably have a different answer. That's where my brain was going to, down this exact argument. Like It's it's more of a case of the best of the best. There's no knocking these, if you pardon the pun. It's more just like, what do we want to highlight more? And I think I would probably send people more to Supremacy before I would send them to Goldeneye. Not that I wouldn't send them to either, I just think I'd send them to Supremacy first. And also, there are other Bond entries that perhaps might make it through to the next round. Yeah. And I would like to give something else a chance. Here's another um, point, actually. Um, what's the definitive Paul Greengrass Bourne film? I say Bourne Supremacy. Yeah. What's the definitive Martin Campbell Bond film? Mm? It's a film we haven't tackled on the show yet. Yeah, right? So I think that's kind of the way I have to look at this one. Very interesting. But, you know, not to, not to throw shade at GoldenEye. It's the reason why I talk about Bond films on a podcast. We love all of these films, let's be fair. Everything that's on the knock list, we had an absolute blast with. So uh, Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Every single one, especially the Ipcris file. <laughs> Shut up, Camp. 100 episodes of this nonsense. Okay, well, that was a pretty easy one. That's pretty painless. So the Bourne Supremacy is going through to the next round next up we have oh oh my god <laughs> north by northwest uh-huh. versus on her majesty's secret service um if this isn't a showdown of the greatest of the greats i don't know what is i i think like this one is actually i think i know my answer i know my answer. yeah yeah i love on her majesty's secret service i think it's one of the all-time great bonds but like I mean, North by Northwest is Hitchcock, like, at the height of his powers, creating, like, the ultimate entertainment. Like, how do I slide that over top of Honor Majesties as much as I love that movie? It doesn't even have, like, a Connery. It's got, you know, George Lazenby as the star. Whereas, like, Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, James Mason, like, the set pieces of North by Northwest. Uh, yeah, that, that's got to be North by Northwest. 
you're taking the words out of my mouth. I I love Honor Master Secret Service apart from its lead. There's like a, a minus mark against this film for me to start off with, whereas for me, North by Northwest is potentially one of the greatest spy films of all time, and I think I will be fighting for this film in many champion of champion shows down the road. Yeah. I think I will be... And I, I actually post about this film quite a lot when I find trivia out about it. I think it's just a very fascinating film to dive into. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think... I don't think I could vote for Honor Majesty's. I think it is North by Northwest. I also think North by Northwest is one of the most rewatchable movies on the list. Like, I think you could totally sit down and watch that quite often, whereas I don't know how many people really heavily rewatch Honor Majesty's. I saw it a couple of times last year when we did our, our episode Yeah, with Stephen and, and Shayla. And then I saw it on the big screen this year. And I think I'm okay for a little while now. I think I don't have to watch it for a couple of years. It's like a bit of a luxurious film. Um, I feel like when you know Bond fans are re-watching a lot of the Bond films, it tends to be more things like your Goldfingers, Spy Who Loved Me's, Goldeneye, kind of those more... License to Kill. License to Kill. Yeah, more of those like high-energy kind of Bond stories, whereas like Honor Majesties is kind of like the... It's more like a book almost. You want to sit down, take it all in, but you don't necessarily have that one on repeat. No. Okay, well, that was surprisingly easy then. Um, North by Northwest is making the next round. Next up. Hmm. This should be fun. <laughs> it's the Ipcris file versus Goldfinger. Oh, brother. I mean, I, I... So it's Goldfinger, right? It is Goldfinger because you just look at the shadow that Goldfinger cast on the entire genre um, yeah. And then it does it so well. It's not like a movie that was a huge success, had a huge influence, but when you go back and watch it, it's pretty creaky. It still holds up fantastically well. Ipcris File I love a lot, but at the end of the day, I mean, you just ask you know, the spy fans out there. Although, you know what? Ipcris really does have a strong support, so maybe that's not fair. But I do think um, 60s spy films, what's the most important film? People probably would say Goldfinger. I do want to acknowledge that I designed this bracket, although it was randomized. And so for people crying foul, I want to offer you listeners an olive branch as well as you, Cam. I think we both agree that Goldfinger should go through to the next round. Yeah. But I think we could also both agree that both films are very influential and very important to the spy genre. So would you by any chance want to leave it to the game of chance? Hmm. I don't know, like, if it was a different Bond film than Goldfinger, I would say yes. If it was Honor Majesties, I'd be like, yep, let's do it. Goldfinger, I, I just think, like, the impact of Goldfinger is just so unshakable. I just think many aren't going to begrudge us putting Goldfinger through, but there are a lot of Ipcris File fans out there. Most of them have tuned us out by now and unsubscribed because of my slanderous attacks on the film for the last two years. But there are some people that are thinking, you know, this, is this a bit dodge, what they're doing here? They're eliminating Ipcris File so early on. I mean, it's up against Goldfinger, let's not forget. That is the prototype of Bond. It is. It's the one that set the, the mold. Yeah. I, 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 go listen to our episode with Calvin Dyson on Goldfinger if you want to hear us talk about it uh, more. Yeah. I think it should be Goldfinger. I'm offering the, the, the coin olive branch. Are you happy with Goldfinger going through? I think it's Goldfinger. Okay. I'm sorry, Ipcris File fans. You can uh, send me a letter to... Uh, well, you'll find me in the post box outside of the Royal Albert Hall. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'll be filming people from the other side of it. Moving on. An interesting one, actually. I think I know the answer already. It is Three Days of the Condor 
versus Spy Kids. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Even I can't defend Spy Kids at this point. I think Three Days of the Condor is going to go through. Is, is it worth discussing further? Uh, no, this one's a slam dunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See you later, the Spy Kids. You lost to the second round. That's better than some of the Bond films did. Up next, we have Bridge of Spies versus From Russia with Love. Oof. This is the toughest one so far in this particular section in, in round two. Much as I don't want a ton of Bond films to go through because I think the spy genre does not revolve around James Bond, you need to acknowledge the highlights when you have them. Now, we've only tackled about nine Bond films of 27 so far, maybe 10 Bond films of 27 so far in the show in our two-year run so far. There are many more to come, and there are some very big highlights that we haven't even touched yet. Mm-hmm. But From Russia With Love is one of the ones that always stands out for me. Goldfinger is, I think, probably out of the ones we've covered so far, probably the best. I don't think From Russia With Love is far off from that. Bridge of Spies is a fantastic film. It's a very glossy look at the gritty spy film. You know, the the man who came from the Cold-esque Cold War spy film. Uh, Obviously, the Spielberg, you know, of it all. But I think for me, From Russia With Love just has that edge, that literal edge, uh, and that will carry it forward. Well, I think when you ask what are the most impactful or the best of the Connery Bond era, you're going to have people say Goldfinger, probably followed by From Russia With Love. So I think it's like important for that reason. Yeah, whereas like, what's the best Spielberg movie? Bridge of Spies isn't going to be on the tip of people's tongues. Um, it's a fantastic movie. Mark Rylance deserved that Oscar, but I think From Russia With Love is the one that uh, has more influence. Okay, From Russia With Love's going through. The last of the second round, we've got The Day of the Jackal versus Where Eagles Dare. Hmm, this is an interesting one in that, like, they are neither one of them are movies that necessarily jump to the forefront of spy fans minds when they think of like you know the all-time great spy films but they both are terrific movies i wouldn't say one had more influence than the other really um i mean i would say probably uh jackal had a little more but not so much that i would be like oh clearly you know it's not like a goldfinger out in front favorite where are you thinking on this one i am leaning towards um there has to be a point where like hangout fun is not enough, where like pure filmmaking needs to come in. And I think Day of the Jackal has where Eagles Dare pipped at the post just when it comes to a pure cinematic experience. Yeah. But there is something very cool about hanging out with Clint Eastwood, you know, and, and uh, you know, fighting some Nazis. I think that's a very great idea. And, you know, there's a a great female protagonist in the film, whereas and that's something you rarely see in spy films, and that's something I do want to highlight. Um, but Day of the Jackal, there's just something about that film. It feels like such a pure directorial vision. Like Fred Zinneman, I believe, directed that one. Whereas, like, there's a lot of Men on a Mission movies made in that particular time period. And I look at ones more like um, The Great Escape as, like, the great visions of what that could be. Whereas I don't know that I would say that about Where Eagles Dare. I am going to say, though... And it might, I think I've just changed my own vote. Mm. Out of the two, what is the more pure spy film? That's Where Eagles Dare. 
And I think at this point that factor needs to start coming into it a little bit more as well. Um, what's closer to what you would consider a spy film? They are spies in Where Eagles Dare. In Day of the Jackal, you could sort of figure out that the Jackal used to be a, an operative of some sort, but really it is an assassination flick and sort of a chase film. So on that side of it, I'm going to go with Where Eagles Dare. Okay, I'm going to go for Jackal. So let's leave this one up to the coin of chance and okay. see where it lands. Because like I don't think there is a like a clear winner out of these two. No, and I imagine people at home will probably be quite split as well of which one they want to go through. So we're going to leave it the chance. Cam, as it always, call it in the air. Go for it. Okay, uh, I'm going to go Tails again. Tails it is. Okay, so Jackal is moving on. The Jackal is reaching closer to its target. Well, that was round two. We're into the third round now. We have six films to whittle down to the final three. And they are tough. This is like the all-timers crew. So like at this point, no matter what gets knocked out, they're all victors here. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. First up, we have the Born Supremacy versus North by Northwest. <laughs> uh-huh. I have um, a, I have a gut feeling on this one pretty quickly, I have to say. So do I. So do I. Uh, it, it, is it North by Northwest? It is North by Northwest, yeah. Yeah. Like, to me, it's like um, the Born Supremacy is a... You know, the best Bourne film, you know, the best Paul Greengrass Bourne film. But, like, is it, like, a masterpiece? I don't quite think so. You know, it's close, but I wouldn't say quite so. Whereas, like, I would say that North by Northwest, I mean, come on. And, you know, the Bourne supremacy and the Bourne films had a massive impact in spy cinema going forward. When we did our Bourne roundtable recently, we were talking about the connective tissue between the Bourne films and you know, the, the Casino Royale reboot in 2006 of the Bourne films that really reinvigorated that franchise once again after Goldeneye did it in 95. And that you can just smell Bourne all over those films. It really did leave its mark. That being said, North by Northwest, you will see clips of that uh, crop duster in like movie montages to this day. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond what's a good spy film. And I think it just goes to what's a good film. Yeah. And you'll see like homages to it in things like The English Patient or even Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Like even, you know, in the MCU in the 2010s, they're like, let's have a nod to North by Northwest. Yeah. You just you just can't fight that. So uh, North by Northwest is going through to more or less the final round. Next up, we have... Goldfinger versus Three Days of the Condor. I give up. <laughs> Two perfect films. Two perfect films. I have a gut. I have a gut feeling again. What's what's your gut feeling? I think it's Goldfinger. I think I think Three Days of the Condor is a fantastic paranoid spy thriller from the seventies, but it's very of the seventies. Not to say that the Goldfinger isn't of the sixties. Good lord, some of the choices in that film, but. We keep saying it's the prototype. It's the thing they look to for spy films from 1965, I think it was 64, maybe onwards. Yeah. To partially this day. Yeah. So I don't think you can escape the shadow of Goldfinger. I'm going to sip my mint julep now and listen to what you think. I also want there to be a real battle for the final 
three there where you know the winner it has to earn it and i think if you're saying north by northwest is in that round and then you're throwing in three days of the condor like i I don't know like i i love condor but i don't know that that's necessarily the most compelling of matchups whereas like goldfinger i think that's one hell of a matchup so i'm gonna go for goldfinger as well okay the last one in this round we have from russia with love versus the day of the jackal (laughs) this one feels kind of easy it does you're thinking from russia with love yes I, I wish I wasn't. I wish I wasn't. I think I personally think if, if Where Eagles Dare was here, I think it would have been a different different conversation. I would not feel like uh Where Eagles Dare would belong in that final category, I don't think. From Russia with Love, many will cite it as the best Bond film ever. I'm not like as like I'm a huge Bond fan. I love all the movies. Like I was concerned when we started this show that I would be giving passes to like every Bond film because they're just so rewatchable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did make a bit of a concentrated effort to not do that, to have critical looks at all of them and say, okay, this one doesn't quite belong in. Um, but this is a case where I go, like, from Russia with Love, I don't know there's any arguments real against it. Whereas, like, Jackal, you raised it. Like, is it a full-on spy film? It has heavy, heavy espionage elements, but I don't think it necessarily belongs in kind of that final round with we're looking at north by northwest and goldfinger two of the most impactful spy films of all time so i think i have to say from russia with love just on that basis and you've got to think from russia with love is a riff off of north by northwest with bond influences as well yeah i mean it's basically a combination of goldfinger and north by northwest it's the child of the two yeah despite one coming before the other but you understand what i mean yeah so, uh, yeah, I think From Russia With Love goes into the final round. So, we have three films. I think what we should do is pick a third place, and then we have a standoff for the first and second. Okay. So, the three films in the final are North by Northwest, Goldfinger, and From Russia With Love. This is actually really easy for me for the third place. Same. I think it's From Russia With Love. Yeah, because the thing is, that movie is picking up all the its cues from North by Northwest. You have all these mm-hmm. homages. You have the helicopter sequence at the end, which is taken, you know, from the crop duster. So, like, um, they refer to this one all the time as the most Hitchcockian Bond, and it's because of that North by Northwest influence and then the other Hitchcock spy films. So, like, for me, you can't beat the originator if you are the one kind of paying homage to it. So... I have to say third place for From Russia. Yeah, I don't think you'll have many arguments from listeners at this point. I think you'll all agree with us that From Russia with Love is a deserved third place. Yeah. Uh, And a Bond film is going into the showdown at the finale. So I think that leads us on perfectly to North by Northwest versus Goldfinger for the greatest spy film of our first 100 films. (laughs) Um... Well, can I can I pitch who I think should win? Yeah. I want North by Northwest to win. I'm kind of in the same boat because I also feel like North by Northwest really did set the template for what the Bond movies were picking up on and running with. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, like just the filmmaking that Alfred Hitchcock is achieving, like Alfred Hitchcock is one of the great auteurs and someone who I continue to be fascinated by his work. 
Whereas, like, I look at the director, uh, the directorial work of the Bond films, and it could be fantastic. Guy Hamilton did a great job with Goldfinger, but this is not Hitchcock level direction, and I think that counts for something when we are choosing, you know, the definitive spy film out of the first hundred. I want sort of that strong stamp of an artist on it, and I think North by Northwest really has that. And I, I also don't think that Bond has necessarily had its biggest guns yet on the show. No. Personally speaking, it's had some of its biggest, but not the biggest to me. Uh, and I imagine we'll be tackling that probably in the next 100. The man with the golden gun coming soon. <laughs> of course, of course. It's all about that third nipple. Um, I always say that like the Bond films are not the be-all and end-all of spy movies. And I get a bit of flack online, and the show does sometimes, because we don't focus on Bond enough. And that's fine. If you want to hear Bond, that's fine. And I don't want people to think I'm voting down Goldfinger. I voted Goldfinger to the final round. It's so important, that movie. Like, it's just, yeah, like, we are not underestimating just the sheer power that Goldfinger had in launching a you know a craze that we love. There's a reason why we tackled it so early on. There's a reason why it's on the knock list. It's clearly, to me, Alfred Hitchcock's best spy movie. Yeah, um, there's a few we haven't tackled, but I don't think Topaz apologists are going to be uh, fighting with you too much about that one. Um, yeah, there's there's a couple other really good ones we haven't tackled, but I don't. Th- I, I tend to think when it comes to Hitchcock spy films, the two that immediately jump to mind are Notorious and North by Northwest. Yeah, there's something just so classic and stylish about that film. It just flies by, never a dull moment. And you actually can't say that for Goldfinger either. It's just... If someone was going to say to you, show me the best spy movie of all time, I think I'd reach for North by Northwest. I think I have to agree with that. Yeah. Well, the final three in third place is from Russia with Love. In second place is a very well-earned Goldfinger, which means the number one spy movie in our first 100 films is Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. I can't think of a more deserved winner. Uh, it's certainly one of my favorites. So uh, obviously, if you disagree with some of our choices, do let us know online. But yeah, I'm I'm really proud of that, actually. Yeah, and I think it's one that walks a, a, a fine line where it doesn't like kind of discount the spy stuff. It doesn't just feel like it's, um, you know, working in spycraft just for like kind of disposable fun. Like it kind of takes it seriously, but at the same time, it's just a top flight entertainment. Yeah. Um, and it's it's, all, it's also quite a rich text. From rewatches, you can get a lot out of North by Northwest. I'm not sure what you can get from multiple rewatches of Goldfinger. Sure. Personally. Um, still a lot to love, though. And I'm not bad mouthing Goldfinger. I just think North by Northwest literally is just edging past it. Yeah, I agree. Um, there you go, folks. That's the top of the knock list in the first 100. There were definitely some hot takes in there, Cam. Well, I have a question for you. Which one stung the most to lose? Oh, Where Eagles Dare, probably. Yeah. I really wanted to hang on to that. I don't think it would have got much further than, than Jackal did. But, uh, yeah. And I, I was kind of sad to see Goldeneye go so early. But it was up against it was up against something that it deserved not to win. So Goldeneye definitely jumps out. Um, what about you? Notorious is the one that I think stings the most for me. I think it's just we, me and you have developed quite a personal affection for that film. 
We did a commentary on the Patreon. Um, even in true Alfred Hitchcock fashion, I had my mother-in-law on that episode. Like it's, a, we both love that film, and I think we both gained a higher appreciation for it from covering it on this show. But uh, yeah, we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents! Independent podcasting, much like the Spy Game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course constructing a top-secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? The Taken commentary? Oh, it's live. And we're going to look at the first installment in the Clint Eastwood franchise, Dirty Harry, from 1971. I think it's going to make your day. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. But speaking of hot takes, I reached out online to uh, get everyone's hot takes on our knock list choices in the last 100 films. So Cam, for the first time ever, can you whip out the Basil Exposition hotline? Because I think we're about to get some voicemails. Yes. So our first knocklist hot take comes from Gavin Clark. Gavin, take it away. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. My voice. You love the Ipcrest file. It is a cinematic masterpiece. You like gritty espionage films about red tape and interdepartmental rivalries. You like to watch men have a fight on the steps of the Royal Albert Hall. You like jaunty Dutch angles. You wish more spy films featured paperwork and were filmed through a telephone box or from behind a chair. Now repeat after me. I love the Ipcrest file. I love... I love... I don't love the Ipcrest file, sorry. Um, I never will. Gavin, I love you. Uh, I thank you for your voicemail. I don't think I'll ever quite uh, get past my dislike of those jaunty Dutch angles uh, or filming things through a telephone box. Maybe I'll be able to rid myself of those demons when I get to kick Cam down those stairs one day. That's true. Um, I mean, I love the Ipcris file. Uh, I would have liked to have seen it go further, but you know, up against Goldfinger, that's tough. Um, yeah, I'm on board. I'm Team Gavin on this one. I I do not oblige. That's okay. That's okay. Our next voicemail is from a Mr. Tom Butler from the James Bond A to Z podcast. Hello, Scott. Hello, Cam from Spy Hards. It's Tom Butler here from the James Bond A to Z podcast. I've appeared on your show a couple of times, so thank you very much for having me. Congratulations on reaching 100 movies covered on the show. That's quite a milestone. Um, so congratulations. Um, I hear you're looking for hot takes about the knock list. Well... I come with a steaming hot take for the knock list. 65 million years in the making. Yes, I'm here to defend 
one of our dinosaurs is missing. Yes, the movie that brought me to your podcast. Um, now, I will couch this by saying I haven't revisited one of our dinosaurs is missing, but I will say that it was one of my childhood favourite movies. And so therefore I cannot sanction having it not on the knock list. Um, I don't know if it holds up. To be honest with you, I just remember it being a movie with a big dinosaur in it that as a seven, eight year old, I blooming loved it. So, um, yeah, I know you guys had issues with a lot of the uh, outdated um, themes of the film, which probably, you know, you're completely correct about. So, uh, you know, I trust your judgment on it, but I will defend one of our dinosaurs is missing as one of my childhood favorites, because you know what? Nostalgia is a powerful thing. And where would we all be without a little bit of nostalgia in our lives? So that's my hot take. Please feel free to dismiss it. And uh, yeah, here's to another 100 or at least 200 more episodes of Spy Hard's podcast. See you guys soon. Well, I want to thank Tom for sending in that lovely voicemail. You should definitely check out the James Bond A to Z podcast. If there's a Bond podcast you could listen to, that's the one we always recommend. Um, for me, interestingly, I can't, Neither of us can say anything nice about one of our dinosaurs is missing particularly. I don't think we could change our tune on it. And as Tom said, he hasn't watched it since he was a kid. But I do think this brings up an interesting point. And that is our exploration of some of these lesser-known spy films and the interesting sort of consequences of doing so. Right. Because I've heard from numerous people that they heard of us through Condor Man or One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing or British Agent or something like that. Maybe not British agent, but, you know, these beloved classics, things like Gotcha, things like Jumpin' Jack Flash that we've covered on the show, that, you know, they might not be the biggest audience grabber when they first go out because people haven't seen them, but there's this nostalgia, as Tom says. And I, I think I think that's what I, one of the things I really enjoy about this show, and I'm so glad we get to do it, is that we get to explore these lesser-known films. Like... I don't think anyone's done a, a massive retrospective on Gotcha, but hey, we spoke to the director. Right. And like, we have nothing against Dippy the Dinosaur as featured in one of our dinosaurs. He was delightful, and it was fun to see that skeleton pop up in Star Wars. But like, um, the movie, I, and I feel like I have a certain amount of expertise on this right now, where I have done this rewatch of like a just massive amount of these like 60s, 70s Disney films and 50s ones actually as well over the pandemic and continuing onwards where I have watched a ton of these movies that I absolutely loved as a child. And it's actually quite astonishing when you go back and watch these, you know, live action Disney films of those past decades, how few actually do hold up. And um, I would say, Tom, I would challenge you to rewatch one of our dinosaurs and see if you think it holds up because... Uh, I would argue no, but like I have found some do. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea holds up fantastically well. Uh, Mary Poppins. There are some out there, but a lot of these kind of, and Disney was cranking these out like four or five a year. A lot of them do not hold up at all. And I would say one of our dinosaurs for me falls in that category of a lot of them where it's like, eh, they kept kids occupied for 90 minutes, but they don't really offer much more. No, and you know, much as... You know, we don't mind a bowl of wonton soup from time to time. Uh, I don't see myself running back to one of our dinosaurs is missing. But nostalgia is a very powerful tool. And yeah, one of our dinosaurs is a perfect example. There's a lot of people who listen to the show that really love that film and can look past some of its more egregious choices. And I'm, 
absolutely all for it. Like, I, I, I think we can learn our lesson looking at the film now, and we understand why you shouldn't do that. But there's no reason why, as a kid in the 70s and or the 80s, when you saw that film, you can't enjoy it and look back on it fondly. And I'm glad we got to be the people, uh, potentially the only people online talking about that film. I would also argue a lot of the Bond passion comes from nostalgia, right? Yeah. Yeah, we talk about Goldfinger so much in the beginning part of this episode, but that's got some really problematic moments too. Sure, and I mean, a lot of um, spy fans were introduced to Bond when they were young kids. I mean, I certainly was, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I Tom, I love your love. I just can't share it. Yeah, I'm excited when I get um, submissions like that because it's like, who's going to come on and you know defend one of our dinosaurs is missing and get us talking about it again? I'm glad Tom did that for us. Yeah, exactly. Our next message is from Mr. Sam Rogers. Hit it, Sam. So congratulations to Scott and Cam on 100 episodes of Spy Hard's podcast. Um, I would love to say that this is a fully celebratory message. However, I do have a bone to pick or, or two because um, my knock list opinion is that both the first two Charlie's Angels movies uh definitely should not have been uh not on there uh, essentially um i honestly have so much fun with these films i think they're just so entertaining so much fun um really lean into some of the tropes of spy movies and lean into the tropes of what charlie's angels the tv series was and it's all ramped up to a thousand um it's it's quite remarkable how much it's different from a TV series that it's based on, yet it still works incredibly well. Um, I think there's definitely choices there uh, and certain directions that make it extremely larger than life and kind of it feels kind of like in an alternate reality in a way, uh, a heightened reality, uh, where these three women can really do anything. Um, and that, it, that, that includes, um, you know... <laughs> the shift of gravity um not not uh, com, you know conforming to the laws of gravity um you know one of my favorite scenes is the basic pre-title sequence essentially of charlie's angels full throttle uh with the dam um and the helicopter it's just absolutely insane but i think that's what i love so much about it and i think that as much as there's definitely some dodgy elements in these things that have not aged well whether that's in terms of maybe some some of what's shown on screen whether it's to do with the story the characterization or you know the cgi and the effects but i think overall it's fantastic and i think no one can argue that you know drew barrymore cameron diaz and lucy Liu have fantastic chemistry together um and are supported with you know some of the best you know actors to be around in these in those two films so sam rockwell and to me more they're remarkable and of course crispin glover as well who just brings such an edge to a character that really shouldn't be you know anything yet he's so memorable the creepy thin man is um just a fantastic and you know shia labeouf is is in the the is in full throttle as well um so remarkable so anyway mcg did a great job i would love to see a third film and i would definitely put them both onto the knock list so scott and cam I'm happy to be part of a, another review of those two films to get them moved onto that list. Congratulations once again. Well, Sam, I actually really appreciate that someone sent in a voicemail, you know, championing the Charlie's Angels films. I, I can't quite come down for full throttle. Like that one, I really think was an inferior sequel to the original. But I do think 
I wonder if it was like a little bit of snobbery. I still don't think I would put Charlie's Angels on the knock list. I think it just falls a little short. But like, I think there was maybe a little bit of like, this isn't maybe quite hitting the bar of what we want on the knock list because it's so silly. Um, but like, I do think maybe it should have been a little more strongly considered. Um, cause I think of those three performances and I think also as we continue down the Charlie's angels journey. And by the time we were watching that, especially, you know, like the second and third, you began to reflect a little more on that first one and how effective it was at what it wanted to do, be that bubble come movie. So like, um, I do have affection for Charlie's angels. I would love it though. Honestly, if we got a fourth Charlie's angels film at some point that just really hit a home run, like really just cracked it out of the park. So fingers crossed that happens and we can get a Charlie's angels film on the knock list. Yeah. I, I, I think I was a little, uh, nicer to the first film than you were. I think it had a lot more nostalgia for me. Definitely. Um, when we reviewed it. So I can't remember if I said yes and you said no and we agreed not to put it on in the end, but I think I was definitely leaning towards yes and the knock list, but it didn't make it, so I have to take responsibility for that. Um, but I agree with your point, Cameron. I do hope we can get a Charlie's Angels film on there at some point. But what I do want to say, and one thing it does do well, and one thing we don't see enough of, is female-led spy films. Yep. And I think one thing that film should be celebrated for is putting the spotlight firmly on Barrymore Diaz and Liu and letting them run amok on our screens for two whole films and giving them as much agency as the films did and letting them have separate lives outside of their missions fully fleshed out characters that was wonderful to see and I think it's a it's an element that's still sorely missing even today from spy movies definitely definitely so why don't we move on to our next recording from Shayla who um, joined us for the 355 fairly recently, actually. This is your third agent, Shayla, calling you from a very secure landline. Fear not, our call will not be traced. And I'm here to say congratulations on 100 episodes. That is so cool. You guys are so much fun to listen to, and you're such great people, and I look forward to many more episodes. That being said, I guess my one hot take would be I think Tomorrow Never Dies should be on the knock list. I just think it's such a such, it's such a perfect Bond film. It goes by in a flash. It's super fun. And uh I think you guys goofed. <laughs> but no, seriously, congratulations. Well, I mean, there's a reason why Shayla is our third agent. Another appearance on the show. Thank you, Shayla, for your wonderful voicemail. I am in full agreement with you. I think <laughs> I even said yes in the knock list and was voted down by Janine and Cam on that episode. So I'm going to let Cam answer for this one. Yeah, I think it was. And I talked about this earlier in this episode where I said, when I went into, the, into this show... I was concerned about like just my Bond fandom would lead to every Bond film getting a yes vote. So I had to be very critical as to which Bond films I felt deserved it. And I thought, especially coming after GoldenEye, where to me that was a very clear yes. And we also did, I think, Dr. No um, after Goldfinger. I had to like then start to measure them against each other. And I felt like Tomorrow Never Dies wasn't kind of doing anything more that really 
kind of earned it that spot, even though I think it's a super solid, incredibly fun movie. It doesn't quite hit that bar necessary for me to cross into the knock list. And I also voted against, as I said, like You Only Live Twice, for example. So to me, it's like kind of... I remember at the time they said they wanted to make a super solid Bond film. I think they did. I just don't think it quite hits that exceptional level. Well, uh, you can see Cam is clearly fatigued from recording this episode because he's talking nonsense. That's right. Uh, I agree. Tomorrow Never Die should be on the knock list, but there are no take backsies. It is what it is. And to be fair, I think if it had ended up on this list today, I think it would have been eliminated quite early. That's right. Not quite a voicemail, this one, but we had a special message from Becky Leonardis, who is one of our supporters over on Patreon. We want to thank Becky, of course, and all our other patrons. And if you are thinking of joining the Patreon, do check it out on patreon.com slash spyhearts to find out more. But Becky says, uh, of course, well done for 100 episodes, but she wants to point out that The Rock... Uh, was a film we did on our Agents in the Field series on Patreon, but she thinks it should be considered for the knock list. And uh, I actually think I'm in full agreement. I think I can wrap my head around that one more now. I think at the time when we launched that, I was a little more stubborn in terms of like spy-adjacent stuff. And I now am more open to considering things where like a lead character is a spy, even though the movie doesn't fall within the parameters of a spy film. So, like, at the time, I was, again, very stubborn about this. But I, I think I can actually imagine a future where we do The Rock as a normal episode of Spy Hearts. Well, I, I think we should just say now, then, that we will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add it to the master list. Okay. Becky, you're going to get your wish. We are going to cover The Rock on the main feed. And it will get a chance to make The Knock list. Uh, but, Cam, I think we now have a message from Ian Madrell. Okay, so here's my hot take for the Spy Hards podcast. It's about the film called The Parallax View. You know, the one with Warren Beatty where he's a journalist. So my key point is with this film is, is that it's not actually a spy film. But I want to justify that selection. So Warren Beatty is a journalist in the film. And he obviously investigates this company called The Parallax Company. But... The point about the Parallax company is, is that they're an entirely private company and they seem to be acting pretty much by themselves. There's only really a whiff of government conspiracy involved in the background of the Parallax view of the film. And I'm not sure if it actually qualifies as a spy film. There's only really one bit of the film where I think Warren Beatty is kind of rifling through loads of files and he discovers some documents that leads him to understand that the Parallax company is behind all of these different uh, political assassinations. But does that really actually make it a spy film? Does a spy have to be employed by a government organisation in order to make it a spy film? So that's really where I was stuck with it. So I suppose my key point of this whole thing is, is I think that the entry of the parallax view on the knock list is essentially completely and utterly invalid, given the fact that it's not actually a spy film. I suppose the debate you could have is, is what's the limit of a spy film? Does a spy film involve companies or does a spy film involve governments? What's the classical definition of spying so my argument would be is that a spy has to be from a government organization 
or there has to be some form of government or military involvement in spying. My problem is with this, I guess that opens up the door to any kind of where someone rifles through some files and then you could actually consider that to be a spy film. I suppose one of the examples there would be something like The Enemy of the State with Will Smith uh, and Gene Hackman. So you're sort of saying, well, it's government conspiracy, but Will Smith isn't really a spy. Gene Hackman, I think, used to be a spy, but then you sort of like, well, is it a spy film or is it not a spy film? Anyway, all of that said, I'm really enjoying the podcast and it was just really one of my hot takes on the on the podcast that you've produced. Uh, I'm really happy to be a Patreon. Looking forward to all the new episodes. So thanks a lot, Spyhards. Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you for being a patron on our Patreon. Um, and in terms of your point about the knocklist, this is what the hot takes were for. And I think it's a it's a genuine conversation that maybe we won't dive into too much today. But it, I think it's an ongoing discovery for us on the show of what is and what is not a spy film. Cam has alluded to already in this conversation. When he started this show, he was quite buttoned up about these sorts of things. And he's definitely loosened his reins. And I know on our Parallax View episode, we did have a discussion about whether it qualifies or not. And I think it's an ongoing discussion. I think there's a lot. I think Enemy of the State you mentioned, I think, would qualify as something we would tackle. And I think we do plan to tackle it at some point. It's definitely an evolution there are a lot of spy adjacent we use that term a lot on the show spy adjacent films but i think it's even if some of them aren't necessarily as close as we would like to a spy film i think there's still room for conversation and analysis when it comes to these films now i know it's more your point was more should it be on the knock list because it's not quite close enough to a spy film well i think you'll be quite happy that it got knocked out quite early on today <laughs> yeah, like Ian, you are summing up something that kept me awake many a times where it was like, oh my God, like, do these count? I don't know. And it's something that when I started this show, I had a very narrow definition as to what a spy film was because you kind of think, you know, your Bonds, your Bournes, all the kind of the franchise stuff, some of the Hitchcock stuff. And it was kind of like this slow discovery of like, there's so many movies that edge into the spy genre, introducing elements. And I would say like Parallax View, you know, you talk about like government or military involvement. And it's like, but what about a case like this where suddenly you have like espionage going on, sleeper cell agents being created. Suddenly it starts to like work into spy tropes, even though it's not necessarily telling a specifically spy story. So the answer is, I don't know. I think we just have to examine these on a case-by-case basis and probably within a review episode talk about does this count? But if it seems like it kind of counts, we'll probably do it on the show and have the conversation at the end. Absolutely. I, I, there was a the film that we covered recently. I think it was Disney's Trench Coat, where I think during the, the viewing process, Cam and I text each other and said, for a very long time during this, I did not think it was a spy film until maybe the last five or ten minutes. Yeah. And we almost had to scrap a whole recording. So we are conscious of whether it's a spy film or not and we do we do filter out films that we are we get a lot of recommendations online from people say hey do this film do that film um and we do filter a lot out so um i appreciate your hot take ian i appreciate your patronage on patreon thank you yeah it's like i can think of one movie on the list we haven't tackled yet it's an older film from like the the 40s i think um where you would not know for 95 percent of the movie that it's a spy film and then it just reveals itself at the very end and like 
those movies exist as well. So it's like, does that count? If for 95% mm. of the movie, you're sitting there going like, I don't know, like this is just some other type of movie. So we are going to have these conversations a lot in the future of Spy Hards as well. So let's get to our last voicemail from Casey Fatchett, who's going to close us out. Casey? All right, what is this for recording? Who's this for? The Spy Hearts Podcast. And why are we recording for the Spy Hearts Podcast? A hundred episodes. Who would listen to a hundred episodes of Spy Hearts? Well, never mind. All right, let's do it. A warm and hearty congratulations to the Spy Hearts Podcast for reaching 100 episodes. It's an incredible accomplishment, unlike Cam's no vote when it came to adding You Only Live Twice to the knock list. But then again, I decided to do Never Say Never Again. So, mistakes were made, all is forgiven. Cheers to 100 episodes. Was that Casey, or was that... uh... The big SC himself. Who knows? No kidding. Throwing shade at me for you only live twice. But you know what, Sean? I would do the same thing tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I think you would. Uh, thank you for the lovely message, Casey or Sean, whoever you'd like to be known as. But uh, yeah, uh, we're still flabbergasted that we've lasted this long. Yes, exactly. Um, so look forward to more Bond hot takes in the future, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, we had a lot more messages. Uh, we couldn't get around to everyone's, but thank you for everyone that did send a message in. Uh, you're all stars to us. Now, this is part of our sort of spectacular for our 100th episode. We obviously had Spy Hard last week as a review, so we thought I'd do our namesake. This week, we've obviously had our best of the best of the knock list. Cam, I think we have one more episode to round out the celebration with. Yes. Well, Scott and I are going to be on vacation in Las Vegas, so we will not have a normal episode of Spy Hards, but we have a Spy Master interview I think everyone is going to be very excited about. We are going to be talking to Mariam Dabo from The Living Daylights. Yes, Mariam Dabo, a.k.a. Cara from The Living Daylights, is gracing us with her presence next week. Um Another big Bond name to have on the show. I couldn't think of a better way of rounding out this 100th celebration than sharing our interview with you all. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us next week on the show and check out our Mariam Darbo Spy Master interview. If you like what you hear on Spy Hearts, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you disagree or agree with our choices about the best of the best on the knock list, let us know on social media, discreetly, of course, at Spy Hards, and that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But for the 100th time, and hopefully many more, we'll see you among the shadows.